You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Derek Lopez. Uh, to give everyone a recap of where we're at, we're in 2 Samuel, and, uh, and today we will be talking about Absalom. And so to, to go back a little bit, just so that everyone has understanding, and some of this is important to the teaching today, is Absalom, he gets very uh, disappointed and offended. And so Absalom, what happens is his brother Amnon rapes his sister Tamar. His half-brother does that to his sister Tamar. And then he, he, uh, he says to his sister, hey, don't take this thing that happened to you to heart, Tamar. But Absalom does take it to his heart. And it says David's very, King David is very angry. And King David, he was so furious. But he, he didn't have a conversation with Amnon about this at all. And then so Absalom waits two years. And he, he decides to, he comes up with this plan that he convinces his father to let his sons come to a party that he throws. A celebration of uh, of the money coming in because of the sheep sharing that will be done. It would be like a harvest party. And so he, he ends up inviting his brothers and he commands his servants to kill his brother Amnon. And then he flees to his grandfather, who is also a king in Geshur, east of Israel. And so he, he goes there and flees there. And it says that David... David was, was very mournful, he was very upset, and he pondered all of this. And so what happens is the commander of the nation of Israel's army, his name is Joab, Joab decides, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to try to remedy the situation. It says that he notices that the king was downcast, that the king actually, he was pondering what was happening. And so Joab says, hey, I can, what I can do is I can come to King David with the story, just like Nathan did. Now, the difference between the two stories is that one was sent by God to tell a story to Nathan to correct, and the other one was sent by man. And so he, he gets this woman that David doesn't know from this city, and he gives her the words to say. And the words that he gives her are this, is that I had two sons. One son killed another son. My husband is now dead, but but my son it will now be killed. I'm asking for mercy. I'm asking that you pardon my son, king. And David basically, first he says, go home, basically says a soft no, and then it turns into a maybe as she presses, and she presses more, and it becomes, okay, not one hair of your son's head will be harmed. And then she turns it on King David and says, then why have you despised, why have you done such an evil thing in Israel? Why have you despised our nation? Because you will give mercy to someone you don't know, but you won't give mercy to your own son. And so what, what ends up happening is she pins David against what he has decreed. And so David finally says, okay, it is definitely Joab who's at the hand of this. And he says, hey, Joab, go ahead and get my son. Go ahead and get Absalom. But he must not see my face. He must not come into my presence. And so Absalom comes home. He went to his house, but he didn't see the king. And so that puts us where we're at now. But what we'll talk about today is the spirit of Absalom. And so when I say spirit of Absalom, someone, you may hear that term. You might hear more often the spirit of Jezebel. 
maybe the spirit of Ahab, but what, what it means is it's somebody who takes on the characteristics of the person of Absalom. And so it's like, it's like uh, when the angel appears uh, and, and tells of John the Baptist's birth, how he'll go in the spirit and power of Elijah. Well, he didn't actually have the exact same spirit that Elijah had, but his spirit, he had the same characteristics as Elijah. And so it's the same here is that many times a demonic spirit operates in a person that in a person is influenced, maybe not possessed, but is influenced by the enemy with the spirit of Absalom. And so we'll look at how, how did Absalom get to this place where he, where he gets to a point where he wants to tear the nation in half and he tries to take the kingdom for his own. And my question to everybody today, really the title of this message is, are you cultivating a spirit of Absalom? Are you cultivating a spirit of Absalom? It doesn't mean there's a spirit of Absalom on you, but you might be cultivating a spirit of Absalom. You might be a part of the atmosphere that allows for a spirit of Absalom to run rampant. And so we'll look at this today, but where, we, where I stopped with this story, it leads us to verse 25, and it says this. It says, In all of Israel there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Now to back up for a minute before we speak about this verse, let me say that Absalom had this wound that we mentioned brief that I mentioned briefly. And this wound was a wound that that was never healed. And so a person with the spirit of Absalom, where it begins, it doesn't mean this is this is necessarily that that this is the end all be all if this happens to you, but a, a, how it begins is it starts with a disappointment where somebody else let you down, whether the, whether the expectations were, were reasonable or not. The fact that you were let down, it starts with this because what happens with Absalom is he sees my dad is doing nothing. He's not stepping in authority how he should in remedying this situation with my sister Tamar. And so he sees this disappointment of his father, how his father isn't, isn't taking care of what he should take care of. He's not, he's not bringing this thing and making it right. And so he has this disappointment, and this wound grows to a point where he says, okay, dad's not going to do anything. I'm going to do it myself. The ends justify the means. I will be the judge. And so he gets to a point where he, he says, I'm going to... I'm going to be the remedy in this situation. And so then Absalom is dismissed and he's, or he actually runs away, like I said before, but Absalom is not pursued by his dad at all. Now I believe, I'm of the belief that it would have been better if King David just let, let Absalom stay exiled. It would have been better for everybody. But King David brings him back, but he doesn't fully restore the relationship, especially with the power and the influence that Absalom had. That was a bad move. And so we'll look at some of this today, but it says that in all of Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. So think about in the last 75 years in America of people who have been highly praised, extremely praised, praised. And I want to look at two of them, and 
two, both of them are named and identified as a type of king. The first one is Elvis Presley. Can you put a picture of him on the screen? 1956, he came on the scene, and you all know his face, like famous, uh, he was the king of rock and roll, right? Women would, would actually scream and pass out. They would want to be around him. They would want to hear Elvis Presley see him with his dance moves. And then there's another king that came in the 80s. Here he is, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, a, a very controversial person, right? So has great songs to a degree, right? He has dance moves like no other person. The king of pop is what we called him. But both these men, both these men could not even go to a restaurant. Neither of them. Actually, Elvis, uh, one time he was mistaken for an Elvis impersonator, and he just let it happen so he could live normal in an airport. Like these men couldn't, they couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't, they couldn't be normal. They couldn't live a normal life. Women would just scream when they saw, saw them. They'd want to be around them. They'd want to be with them. Who knows that's unhealthy? We, we can't live, we're not made to live to be praised. So this is Elvis Presley. Um, could you show, this is the before and after. This is near his death. <laughs> Someone said, thank you very much. I heard that. <laughs> but, but look at the difference. He couldn't handle what Elvis did was Elvis, Elvis went ahead and went in fully to the flesh of the desires of the flesh. And I know that there's stories that he loved the Lord, that he would worship. He would worship at times near the end of his life with his team, and he would only allow them to uh, sing worship and praise songs when they practiced near the end. But he couldn't handle the drug addiction. He couldn't handle the women. He couldn't handle the spotlight. He couldn't handle it. He gave in to the lust of the flesh in the pride of life. And then this is Michael Jackson, this is him in the 70s, and this is him in the 2000s. This, this is different than Elvis because Michael Jackson didn't live in reality. He got to a point where he didn't look like himself, where he mutilated his own face. He mutilated his skin color, too. We were not made to be praised. And so the point in this I want you to see, because many of us, we won't be praised like they are, but sometimes we'll think about ourselves identified with our successes. We can't live in fantasy land. We can't live in never-never land, right? Where I don't want to grow up. No, we have to live in reality. And this is what happens to Absalom to help give you a picture he gets to a point where he's the highest praise and what, it, what he ends up taking in and believing is I am the most important person. I'm more important than anybody else. And I think about the scripture in Song of Songs that about his brother, Solomon, depending on how you interpret whoever the writer was of, the, of that book. But, but it says that uh, there's none like you that you're the most desirable among women. So think about that Solomon. And so his brother Absalom, same way, very beautiful man, a very 
esteemed man. And, and he ends up taking this praise in. And you and I, we, if we don't worship the true king, we'll worship something counterfeit. We'll praise something that isn't real, like the king of pop, the king of rock. They're both dead and gone. Jesus lives forever. It's important that we identify ourselves not by our successes, not by our failures, not by the money that we make or we don't make. We identify ourselves that we're loved by the king of kings who is alive and reigns forevermore. Amen, everybody? So what, what happens is he, Absalom gets to this place where he, he views himself highly esteemed. And sometimes this, is, this happens to, in the spirit of Jezebel and the spirit of Ahab, or not Ahab, the spirit of Absalom that we're talking about today, is that a lot of times there's good looks that are associated with someone who operates in the spirit of Absalom. And so, but I do want to say that as we talk about this spirit, I don't want you necessarily to think about somebody else. I want you to think about your own life. Because Jesus said, hey, if you're going to remove your brother's uh, speck from your brother's eye, first remove the log from your own eye so you can see clearly to remove the speck. Let's think about ourselves first, okay? And then think about the atmosphere that we're creating at home and our work and everywhere else. So it says this, it says that whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it, and it weighed about 200 shekels by the royal standard. Okay, that's... Who, who does that? Who weighs their hair? That's a sign of an of a extreme narcissist, right? I'm going to cut my hair. Like, even if you have the thought, don't act on it, right? Like, I wonder how much my hair weighs. Let's go ahead and weigh that, and let's do it by the king standard, which is different than other standards. And so he, he has all this vanity in his heart, Verse 27 says, three sons were born to Absalom. His daughter's name was Tamar, and she became a beautiful woman. Now, chapter 18, the Absalom actually says out loud, hey, I don't have any sons to take over, take over for me. And so who's right here? Is it chapter 14 or chapter 18? Well, they're both right. It would be that his sons end up dying, that they died, and they didn't live a long life. And so, and their names would have been mentioned here if they were alive, but they were not. So he has this daughter named Tamar. He names her that. Uh, it's a marking of his wound. It's to honor his sister, but it's also a reminder to, uh, to the great-grandparent, great to David, that uh, what had happened to, the, to, uh, to King David about, hey, remember this thing? And it would be a reminder to all those in Jerusalem about what had happened. And so, so verse 28 says, Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. So can you imagine that, and maybe some of you, maybe this has happened to you. Maybe you've, your, your father didn't want to know you. Maybe he disowned you. Maybe, maybe he didn't want to be around you and he was selfish. Think about how that feels. Very harmful. And we talked about it a little bit last week, but it would com it communicate to, to Absalom, you're not part of the family. You're not welcome in the family. You will not have the inheritance that you, that you should get. You, you, you are not welcome here. You can come back, but there are limitations. You can't even see my face. 
You know, that's a sign when you, when you can't even mention someone's name or you can't see their face, that's a sign that you have some unforgiveness in your heart. And so if I mention someone's name to you who's harmed you, do you have a flashback and have all these emotions get real tight? Or do you just let it go? It, you know that, that you don't have any unforgiveness in your heart if I can mention the name of the person who gave you, who hurt you and gave you pain, and you don't have all these feelings and emotions that come up that you have a hard time controlling. Just a little, a little tip there. But David has some fault here too because he doesn't, like neither of them, they don't have any conversation. He just sweeps it under the rug. Like, hey, he can't see me again. He's just going to be dead to me. Like, let's pretend that everything is just, that he's not even around anymore. And that's not the case. And we can't be afraid of confrontation. I think confrontation is a little bit, I think it's fun in a way. Because there's growth that happens from it. And I think it's, I think it's really healthy. Um, so I try to look forward to it, even if it's a conversation I don't want to have. Verse 29 says this, and this isn't about me. I didn't mean to make it about me. Verse 29 says, Then Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king. But Joab refused to come to him in a second time. So he sent for a second time, but he refused to come. This is very interesting to me because Absalom, like, I'm like, why couldn't he have gone to Joab? And there, I think there's two possibilities. One, the end or the middle of chapter 14 says that he went to his own house, but he didn't see David. And him in this portion makes me think that maybe he was under house arrest in a way. That they had an eye on him and he couldn't just go and come as he pleased. And we'll see this also in a later verse that that's a possibility. But another possibility is that, that Absalom, that I think that because he has this vanity in his heart, because he believes he's... he's uh, He's someone who's super important. He has all these servants. People wait on him hand and foot. I think that he probably had to a degree a belief of, hey, he should come to me. I'm a ruler. I'm a prince. He should come to me. I don't need to go to him. I'm greater than Joab. He should come to me. So he sends him for him once. He sends for him twice. And then he retaliates. I want you to think about this for a moment. How do you respond when somebody tells you no? How do you respond? Do you lash out? Do you get upset, all in a fret, bent out of shape? What do you do? I know I can struggle with that too. Everybody can, but it's a good question. Because sometimes, they're, they're, in all of us, to a degree, there can be a narcissist. And we can make the world about us. And so I would ask that. And even if you suspect somebody is a narcissist, a good litmus test is tell them no. See what they do. Just for fun, you know. What will they do? Tell them no. Tell them no twice, two times in a row. See what they do. Then you'll really see their heart, and we really see Absalom's heart. So verse 30 says, Then he said to his servants, Look, Job's field is next to mine, and his barley is there. Go set it on fire. 
So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. So he's saying, I'm so important, I will not be denied. Let's take it into our own hands. Let's get his attention at any means, any means possible. The ends justify the means. So we see that, that he says, I, I am so important, whatever I want, whatever I will, at the expense of others. Do you have that in your own heart? Is there somebody you're close in relationship to you that has that? They'll hurt you if you say no. Where they struggle with boundaries. We want to make sure that we, we don't put our feelings above others. We want to be like Jesus. We want to put Jesus, others before our feelings. Amen, everybody? Then it says this in verse 31. Or, no, I'm sorry, moving on. Oh, yes, 31. It says, Then Joab did go to Absalom's house, and he said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? So remember, Joab's a bad dude. Joab is a warrior, extreme fighter, having not lost a battle. Like, he's coming to him, and I can see a knife on his side. Like, hey, would you, what's up, man? What'd you do? You want to step outside? What's going on? What'd you do? Why'd you do that? And Absalom's response really shows more of his heart. Absalom said to Joab, look, I sent for you and said, come here so that I can send you to the king. And then to ask, why have I come from Gesher? It would be better if I were still there. Like he has this belief that he's better than everybody else. And he kind of pushes it to the side and basically says, you're at fault. Spirit of Absalom says, you're at fault, not me. You're the servant. I sent for you and you didn't come. And and twist things on the individual and on the person. And so he does that. And he's basically saying, hey, if I wasn't restored... Like, I, I think he's saying, I had more freedom in Gesher. I had more freedom under my grandfather. Why am I here? Once alluding to the, the possibility that he was, uh, he was under house arrest to a degree, um, but we don't know for sure. And he says, now then, I want to see the king's face. If I'm guilty of anything, let him put me to death. So he takes it to this huge extreme. Verse 33 says, Joab went to the king and told him this, but the king summoned Absalom, he came in and bowed down with his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Look, a spirit of Absalom will be an actor, like to get their own way. Like he he came, he knew what he had to do to look like he had it all right. Have you ever known anybody that may have um, been like, hey, how did you? Like, how'd you follow Jesus? How did you get in relationship with him? Okay, how, that water baptism thing, like what, what steps had to happen in that? Okay, you had to say that you believe in Jesus and they baptize you in water. I knew somebody who had done that before. And uh, actually little girls who have done that. And they ended up having uh, like demonic manifestations afterward because they hadn't really given their heart over to Jesus it wasn't something that was real. It wasn't a real transition from death to life. Like, in, you know, we're, we're dead in our sins. We're alive in Christ Jesus. 
And so we, we don't want to come with a, with a heart to our king like that. We want to come genuine with a heart surrendered. That's the hardest thing for everybody is to come in humility. It's hard. It's hard for everybody to do that to an extent, but I love Phil Robertson. He just had that movie come out, The Blind. It was super impactful. They end up giving an opportunity for people to know the gospel at the very end. And, and he's sitting in the 70s, he's sitting with the preacher outside his camper. Just a spoiler alert, but I mean, you know, he ends up coming to the Lord one day. But Phil asks, he says, what do I have to do? Because he says, everything I touch goes to hell. And the preacher says, well, I'd quit touching things, first off. And he says, what should I do? And he says, well, Phil, you have to die. And Phil kind of looks puzzled. You have to die, and then you're born again. Then you need to be born again. And so Phil surrenders his life. And my father and I, we watched that movie and we walked out and he said, you know, it makes me think because the man at the very end as an old man is way different than the man who ran wild. And he said, it makes me think, am I living a life fully surrendered to Jesus? Are we living lives that are fully surrendered like Phil, who just said, hey, everything I touch goes to dirt? The spirit of Absalom won't do that. But you know, the spirit of Jesus is way different than this spirit because the spirit of Absalom has a spirit of Antichrist all over it. Absalom has open wounds, the spirit of Absalom. But the spirit of Jesus forgives, forgave those who wounded him. Jesus forgave them. Absalom thought he was more important than anybody else, but Jesus, he humbled himself as a servant. Absalom would not be denied, but Jesus denied himself rights, right? He could have summoned uh, legions of angels. He even, he even denied uh, wine to himself when he's on the cross. Absalom would not be denied. Jesus denied himself. Absalom put his feelings above others. Jesus put others before his feelings. Absalom pretended to be humble. Jesus is humble. Absalom ends up trying to take over the kingdom. He tries to rip the kingdom in half, take what he believes is his, as a right for his. He tries to be a king, but Jesus just is the king. Are we cultivating a spirit of Absalom in our own lives with our relationships with others that we love? Do we do that? That can be a hard question. In, in your families, do we do that? Do we allow everybody to do whatever they want? Because Absalom wasn't denied anything. His father never corrected him. He had people wait on him hand and foot. He's, he gets to a place of so, uh, just, just a crazy place of believing he's the most important that he has the guts to summon the commander of the nation of Israel to his house and then burn his field on fire. We need to be careful that we live in reality. Amen, everybody? But what I want you to see, what I really want you to see, is that Absalom, all this started because of an expectation that wasn't met. 
And this expectation that wasn't met was something that wasn't ever talked about. So it asks, do you have unmet expectations of somebody else that you haven't brought up? And are you putting yourself in so much pain because you've never let your expectations be known? Let's either let our expectations be known or understand that our expectations may be completely unrealistic or just understand, hey, you know what? Even if those are my expectations, the person may not give it. Jesus denies that you and I, that when we come to him, that we give our expectations over. Worship team, if you would come on up front, that we would give all that over, disappointment over. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.